Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve others sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 9 and 10.30. I want to speak to you about an upcoming date on our calendar, uh, October 31st, which we know as Reformation Day. Um, It's the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis uh, on the door of the church at Wittenberg, started the uh, Protestant Revolution, changed everything about the world. And so my standing offer every year is at least a dollar for anyone who actually shaves the, the top of their head in a circle like a monk and puts on a brown robe and goes out trick or treating as Martin Luther. Just throwing that out there. Now, of course, we also know it is Halloween. Uh, I just want to remind you that our rhythm for pursuing the life of Jesus, one of them is called neighboring. Neighboring is seeing God's kingdom, his presence come in other people's lives. We're always looking for ways to neighbor and share Jesus with our friends and neighbors. What other day of the year is it when your neighbors actually show up at your front door asking for something? Wow, this is like neighboring central on October 31st. So I hope that you are scheming a little bit already. Just want to plant that seed um, to give out the, the, the giant chocolate bars or uh, have a drama going on in your driveway or uh, anything you can think of to make a ruckus so that uh, your neighbors will think, wow, they really were kind of wanting us to come, weren't they? and make an impression, and uh, just show love. So you can be thinking, and even you folks like me, empty nesters, come on, we can do this. Keep that porch light on. How you doing? It's been a while since I've been up here. Feels pretty good. Thank you for your patience. Just worked through some stuff this summer. We had some loss in our family, some physical stuff, but it's good to be back. Um, some days, uh, I doubt my doubts by remembering church history. Thomas Cahill ends his great book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, with these lines. If civilization is to be saved, and then he says, every civilization is like a billow of smoke in the wind. If we are to be saved, it will not be by Romans, it will be by saints. What Cahill's arguing and shows in his book is that it's the Christian church that walks through the ruins of every civilization, including our own. It's the vibrancy of the church. It's this connection that you and I have with this movement that is a subversive juggernaut that, uh, you know, started in the backwaters of the Roman Empire and 120 people scared to death and now has touched billions and billions of lives and shaped every aspect of human history. What is that vibrancy? What is that strength? Well, that strength is the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, this is us. In Acts chapter one, verse three, 
we have this uh, statement that after Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended back to his father's right hand, he spent 40 days giving many convincing proofs and teaching this group uh, about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine seminary in 40 days? And then verse 8, well, between verse 8 and verse 3, the uh, apostles ask him, well, is now the time that you're going to set up the new kingdom, new heaven, new earth? Are you going to put the end of all things now and restore to make all things new? And Jesus doesn't really answer their question. He says, no, now I want you to be witnesses. I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. The church is global from the get-go. All nations, all languages, all ethnicities. And he says, you will be my witnesses. It's an interesting choice of verb tense there. It's the divine assumption, which is the highest form of obedience, by the way. God is going to do this whether we are on board or not. So maybe we should get on board because it's going to happen. Witnesses. A witness is two things. One, uh, a witness uh, believes in something so strongly they're willing to die, which is why that word witness from the Greek is the word martyrian. It's where we get our word martyr. And secondly, a witness believes something so strongly that they will not only die, but perhaps even harder at times, they will talk. They will talk about what they believe in so strongly. Witnesses talk. What Luke wants us to hear this morning from this great story we're going to look at, which Sophie read, Acts 4, is that the key component to vibrancy, the reason why the church walks through every age and civilization is because they have this witness that is bold. Boldness. We're going to talk about boldness. If you take anything out with you in your, your uh, soul pockets today, I want you to take out the word boldness. And I want you to think about boldness this week. We're going to tell the story again in Acts 4. And then after the story, we're going to ask two questions. What is boldness? What is boldness? And then the second question, where do I buy a bounce of boldness for my life? What's boldness? Where do I get some? And then we'll go out with boldness today. You with me? Okay. The story. When we left off the end of chapter 3, great sermon last week that Madison gave, we had talked about how Peter and John performed a miracle. There was a lame man, lame since birth, 40 years old, every day at the temple, and for whatever reason on this particular day, Peter and John made eye contact with him and uh, this beggar with them and uh, out on the, the south patio of the temple and uh, south patio of the temple. I know some of you are like, he's, where is he? And... Um, this miracle happens. Now, you know what a miracle is, right? A miracle is a glimpse of everyday life and what it's like to live with God. And what it's like to live in the presence of God is there's no lameness. There's nothing wrong with the human body. In fact, a human body won't die if it lives in God's presence. So a miracle is what it's really like unveiled when God's in charge. And every once in a while, we get a glimpse 
of miracle. What's interesting in the book of Acts is it's always the apostles or a close associate who are given the privilege of these glimpses, these miracles. And we, we see one here, and as you can imagine, when it happens, woo, it causes a crowd because everyone knew this guy. He was at the temple every day asking people for money. And all of a sudden, he's up walking around. It says he's praising God. He's leading the praise service. And wow, they're astonished. Well, the purpose of a miracle is to credential the message and the messenger, so Peter and John step up, and Peter starts preaching. And as you're going to see in the book of Acts, every time you see one of these uh, speeches or sermons that are given, they have three components. And I would argue that each of these three components should be in every message that's preached in every Christian church. One, are you ready? Jesus is alive. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Every Sunday's Easter. Get it on, folks. Jesus is alive. Yeah. That changes everything. Everything about life in this world. And then, more on that in a minute. They didn't like that message, his audience. But second, they say, and you missed it. You missed it. Uh, Moses was talking about this. Samuel was talking about this. David was talking about this. Joel was talking about this. The whole story of the Bible points to Jesus, the one who would walk out of his grave. You're missing the story, Peter says. And then the third thing that every message should have. The resurrection, the story of Jesus, don't you miss out. Turn from your life of hopeless, grinding misery and turn to the one who can change your heart inside out. Repent. And Luke 4.4 4 says, at this point, 5,000 in Jerusalem. Can you imagine this backwater place in the Roman Empire, a church of 5,000 crops up in 60 days. Wow. Repent. Turn to Jesus. And might I say to anyone here, within the sound of my voice, at home, online, in this room, Turn from your life of grinding hopelessness. The one thing that I can say to you truly this morning is that you are going to die. But if you follow Jesus, what will happen to you is what's happened to him. You will walk out of your own grave. Turn and follow Jesus. He's inviting you. He's calling you in this moment right now. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, the strong one. And if you believe in your heart that he walked out of his grave, you will be saved. I plead with you. Turn to Jesus. Give your life to him. Follow him in resurrection. Well, they preach this message and uh, they didn't like it. They didn't like it for two reasons. In fact, they interrupt the sermon and they arrest them. They put them in confinement. They didn't like the sermon because, number one, Israel at that time and their government had brokered, finessed a peace with the Roman Empire. The, basically, the peace was this. If you don't cause trouble for us, we won't cause trouble for you. And you can imagine a group of thousands like getting a bit like in an uproar a little bit, a revolution, if you will, uh, that would not play well. That would like put uh, Jerusalem on Roman uh, caution map. And so stop this. No public disturbances. And the second reason is that at this time, the, the main Jewish leadership group called the Sanhedrin, a group of 71 leaders, these were, you know, the, the people of wealth and privilege and power. 
They sat in a circle in the temple and every day did their business. The Sanhedrin, the primary majority party, if you will, of the Sanhedrin was a group called the Sadducees. They're mentioned in our text, the Sadducees. And now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And that was sad, you see. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Keith. <laughs> You'll remember it, though, won't you, when you hear Sadducees now. Uh, they didn't believe in any form of resurrection. Most Jews, common folk, believed in a resurrection at the end of time for faithful followers of God. So at the end of time, if you believed in Yahweh, the, the, the God of the Old Testament, you, you would be raised to life at the end of time, they believed. Now, uh, what was so stunning about Jesus and this claim that was being preached is it's not the end of time. It's one person coming back in the middle of history to say, I've been dead and now I'm alive. I've conquered death. Uh, what will happen to me can happen to you. That was stunning to everyone. No one expected that, especially the Sadducees. So now we pick up the next day. They spend the night in jail, Acts 4, 5. What we uh, see happens uh, the next day. The rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, like everybody, all the Sanhedrin. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest's family. These are the big guns. They had Peter and John brought before them in the Sanhedrin, a semicircle. They stood right in the middle, might I say, the same place Jesus stood during his trial. They began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Now, a couple of thoughts. First, do you recognize any of the names there? I would guess you recognize two of them, Caiaphas and Annas. Why would you recognize those names? Shout it out if you know. What's A little louder? The trial, Jesus' trial. They were the ones in charge of Jesus' trial. It was a, a father and a son-in-law in the high priest's family 60 days earlier, they had run Jesus' trial, and we all know how that went. Peter and John especially know how that went. And here they are standing in the same place. Now, there, Peter was asked this question, by what name did you do this? Now, you remember the last time G Peter was asked by a young servant girl, do you know this name Jesus? Do you remember what he said? I never have known him. He did not have the guts in that moment to even admit to a, a, a young girl that he knew Jesus. Now, in front of the most influential group in Peter's world, standing in the Sanhedrin, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and this one must have really hurt the Sanhedrin, who had most of the Old Testament memorized, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Friends, quite a change, isn't it? The Sanhedrin asks them to leave. They huddle up and they say, what are we going to (laughs) do? No one can deny the miracle. The guys out there are leading praise and worship, jumping up and down. It's somehow connected to this Peter and John exchange. What are we going to do? They decide that what they're going to do is tell them not to talk anymore about Jesus. Shut up. They want them silenced, and so they tell them no more. And so Peter and John reply, verse 19, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then they're released, and they go back to the church, their church in Jerusalem. They give a missions report that turns into a prayer meeting. And in verse 24, I just want you to see the first part of this prayer. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That is the first uh, two verses of Psalm 2. Now, I want to make two quick observations on their prayer. By the way, it's interesting if you go back this weekend, read Acts 4. This is the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. The first thing I would point out to you is from the very inception of the church, what are they praying? Psalms. Why? Because Psalms, like no other book, like nothing else in your spiritual life, in your spiritual disciplines, praying the Psalms will keep God in his place and will keep you in your suffering from being totally overwhelmed. God in his place you being held by him. That's why we pray the Psalms. May Waterstone be a church that prays the Psalms. One a day to keep the blues at bay. Pray the Psalms. It's who we are. They pray Psalm 2. They say it's not Caiaphas or Annas that have control here. It's not any, can you hear this? A midterm elections? It's not any human leader who has anything of human affairs totally in their power. It's God's world, and he rules. Oh, come on. (laughs) If you say amen, I preach faster. All right, let's go. Let's go. Now, second thing I want you to hear. They pray the Psalms. Notice what they don't pray. They don't pray, oh, Lord, that was really bad. May that never happen again. I don't want to spend another night in jail. They don't pray for their protection. What do they pray? Give us more boldness. Boldness, Lord. We want to keep talking and telling the Jesus story. So what we ask from you is boldness. Boldness. 
church is bold, even in the face of opposition, because we are motivated by Jesus' sovereignty and his spirit. That's the idea this morning. I want to talk about boldness now, what it is and where do we get some. What is boldness? First, I'd like you to just nudge your neighbor real quick. Don't, don't get up and move around unless no one's around you maybe, but nudge. what is a boldness? How would you define it? And two, who do you see as a bold person? We'll put those questions up on the screen. What's boldness? Who do you see as a bold person? 30 seconds. Talk amongst yourselves. All right, go to question two. Who would you say is a bold person? All right, thanks for participating. Uh, this section over here, what, what did you hear? What is a good definition of boldness that you heard? Someone just shout it out. Fearless. Fearless. Courage. Courage. This, I'm still waiting for, come on, be bold, this section right here. The right thing at the hard moment. The, oh, that really plays. The right, let's, yeah, the right thing at the hard moment. Can I quote you in the next service? That's really good. The right thing at the hard moment. Hey, how about this side? Anything? Boldness? Tenacity. Tenacity. That plays. Uproaring. Charlie, uproaring. You're a bold guy. Good. Now, this side over here, who's a bold person? Trump. Trump. Yeah. yeah. For those of you watching at home, no. <laughs> Try to, we'll talk after about it. Okay. Any, your six-year-old. <laughs> That's a bold person. Over here, a bold person. Martin Luther King. John Lewis, yes. Oh, right. I will pay you after the service. <laughs> Yeah, Gandhi, over here. William Wallace. William Wallace, yes, awesome. When I uh, when we had the Awana program here at Waterstone on Sunday nights, uh, every year I'd get asked to come in three or four times and do the teaching sec uh, uh, minute for the kids. And uh, one of the things I used to always do every year was have a courage talk. And uh, much like what was shared, my, my definition of courage was not that you're af never afraid, but even when you're afraid, you still do the right thing. And I used to tell the story of my great-grandfather, Pop-Up Hoover. Pop-Up Hoover uh, ran a sawmill on 800 acres of pristine forest in rural Pennsylvania. And he had the missing fingers and toes to prove it. And he, at uh, one time in the 50s, before I was born, discovered a den of rattlesnakes. And by the time they pulled all the rattlesnakes out, it was the largest rattlesnake find east of the Mississippi at that time. 
He had garbage cans of rattlesnakes all over his sawmill uh, just sitting in, in trash cans. Well, he eventually got rid of all of You wouldn't believe the market for rattlesnakes, by the way. And, uh, but what Papa Hoover would continue to do after uh, I was born and we'd have uh, gatherings down, uh, we called it at the dam property because there was a little dam there. And as a kid, I love to say the dam property. But um, he would disappear. Pop-Up Hoover was, you know, he never much for conversation or crowds. He'd disappear. He'd come back walking with a stick, a shoelace, and a noose, and a rattlesnake hanging off the, uh, the noose. And just show us. He'd teach us everything he knew about rattlesnakes. And then he'd keep those rattlesnakes in this one particular garbage can at, um, on the sawmill. And all of us grandkids knew... <laughs> That was the garbage can to stay away from. Well, as I'm teaching the Awana kids, your kids, uh, I had a garbage can next to me. And I had a little kid that I'd set this up with. He had a little rattler thing that he would roll. And I told him on cue to shake the can and rattle. And uh, then I asked if there was anyone brave enough among the class to come up and open the garbage can. Someone would volunteer. They'd come up. And as soon as he lifted the lid, the kid would jump out. And this kid would freak out. Now... <laughs> it was so much fun. But I do want you to know we take really good care of your kids in our child care. Uh, Ash would attest to it. I mean, uh, <laughs> that is a definition of boldness, to do the right thing even when you're afraid. But it kind of misses a, an important nuance of the biblical word for courage. It appears three times in this story, and uh, Tara's going to put it up where it appears. You can see it's all the same word. Courage, boldness, boldly, all the same word. It's a compound Greek word. The prefix is all. The main verb is tell. What is being talked about here is the kind of courage that tells all. That passes over nothing. That does not hold anything back. And I think Luce chooses this word because at times our temptation is to live such a good life to be salt and light and we really attract tension with the way we live. But often, and I'll speak for myself, I don't have the courage, the boldness to what? Tell all. I don't get it to Jesus as much as I should. I'll never forget reading a book on the spiritual disciplines by Donald Whitney where he held up boldness as a spiritual discipline. Think about that. And he wrote, uh, told about this story. I heard the story of a man who became a Christian during an evangelistic emphasis in a city in the Pacific Northwest. When he told his boss about it, that he'd come to Jesus, his employer responded with, that's great. I'm a Christian too, and I've been praying for you for years. The new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me, he asked. You were the very reason I had not been interested in the gospel all these years. How can that be, the boss wondered. I have done my very best to live Jesus in front of you. That's the point, explained the employee. You live such a model life without telling me that it was Jesus who made the difference. I convinced myself that I too could live a good life without Jesus. Sometimes we live such good lives in front of the world, but we never have the boldness to tell the reason why. 
Now, on the other side, here's someone who did. George Whitfield, the spiritual founding father uh, of America, the great preacher. He was from uh, Britain, but preached all along the East Coast of the United States. In fact, in the mid-1700s, it was estimated that one out of every 13 colonists heard George Whitfield preach. He became quite well-known among the founding fathers. In fact, he was very good friends with a dude, you'll recognize his name, Ben Franklin. Ben uh, Whitfield tried to convert Franklin every time they talked. And one time they had an exchange of letters. Franklin had become even more globally known for his experiments with electricity. And here the boldness now, the willingness to tell all of George Whitfield when he writes to Ben Franklin. As you have made a pretty considerable progress in the mysteries of electricity, I would now humbly recommend to your diligent, unprejudiced pursuit, very respectful, and study the mysteries of the new birth. One at whose bar we are shortly to appear has solemnly declared that without it, the new birth, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Getting to the story the boldness to tell all. Now, that's what boldness is. Where do we buy a bounce of boldness? Before we talk about, I think, in the text, the two things that give us boldness, Jesus' sovereignty and the Spirit's presence, I want to just make one quick statement about, remember Peter and John, 60 days earlier, they were wimps, and now 60 days later, they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin preaching Jesus, what happened? I would submit to you that they got deep with Jesus. In those 40 days, they heard Jesus' stories and uh, his, teaching his sovereignty, teaching about the Holy Spirit. They spent time in prayer. They spent time in community. Over these 60 days, it was a crash course in kingdom life that got their heart deep, much like our discipleship course is going to do. But they got deep with Jesus. Now, on the one hand, you think, whoa, man, that would be awesome. On the other hand, I want you to realize this. This happens every day, folks, every day. It's how the human heart's wired, right? I remember I have a, somewhere in my files, I tried to find it but couldn't, but I, I remember reading there was an article back when iPhones were around number four and five, and it was called iPhone Evangelism. And you re, some of you probably remember you used to have to stand in line to get iPhones when they went from four to five, and they'd have these long lines, and there was this phenomenon that began to happen when those who got in and got five, their whole world changed. They would come out and talk to the fours and show them all the new features and all the new apps. And there was this excitement and loud talking. Do you know what that's called? Evangelism. Evangelism. Talking about the new world to someone who they want to experience. We know this. We know that evangelism is passion and conviction. We have it. None of this message is meant to guilt any of us this morning. You know what it's meant to do? Remind us of what we already have. So what do we have? What did Jesus teach during those 40 days? Uh, verse 24, we see they got it, that Jesus is sovereign. They begin their prayer, sovereign Lord. That means that Jesus sits in the place where he is over all, in control of all things, history, creation, your life and mine. Jesus is in control. And because he's in control, we know where this world's gonna end. 
in the presence of Jesus, new heavens, new earth, in his full restored kingdom. We know God wins. And my friends, when we know God wins, do you know what that can do for us is give us boldness. Second thing, verse 12. Because of Jesus being sovereign, we also know that salvation is found in no one else. Jesus is the only one, the only founder of a world religion that is God himself and thus has the quality to purchase salvation with just one drop of blood for the entire world because he's God, but also man making it accessible to everyone in the world. That's why Paul says he's the perfect mediator, the God-man. There's no one else who can bring salvation to the world save Jesus. Jesus saves. Folks, to the degree that it sits in our hearts that there are only two kinds of people in the world, those who know Jesus and those who don't, and that God wants those who don't to know Jesus. To the degree that that sits and you realize you've never looked into the eyes of anyone who does not matter to God, you will be bold. So it's Jesus' sovereignty and his place in the world, the only one who can bring salvation, that brings boldness. Now, in your small groups, um, I put a little something in there that's going to just chive up the church a little bit. I have this uh, statement, and I want you to wrestle with it in your small group. The statement goes like this. You cannot say that Jesus is the most important person in your life if you never talk about him. It's from Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz. You, I'm going to say it again just to really irritate the crap out of you. Sorry. We did not use the word crap for those of you at home. Um, you cannot say that Jesus is the most important person to you if you never talk about him. So what gives us boldness is that Jesus is sovereign, in control over all things, and he's the only mediator between God and human beings. The second place we find boldness is in verses 8 and 31. Peter and the church are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in us, therefore we have all the goods to be bold. And what the Holy Spirit's always doing, by the way, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, his greatest love, Augustine called the Holy Spirit love, his greatest love is to point the light on Jesus. We saw this at Jesus' baptism. Do you remember when the Father spoke, this is my son, listen to him, I love him. Jesus is getting baptized to completely identify with sinners. And it's the Holy Spirit, favorite word in the New Testament for me, the Spirit alights on Jesus. Alights. What the Holy Spirit lives and loves to do is to put the spotlight on Jesus. And thus, we have this Spirit living in us that loves to put the spotlight on Jesus through us. And you know what he's doing, the Holy Spirit, all the time? He's giving the raw materials of our life a crafting and a mix that's preparing us for whatever conversations we're going to have this week. From the food you eat and the diets you're on, to the shows you watch and the books you read, to the conversations you have with your children, your grandchildren, your parents, everything, he's always crafting a mix, preparing a conversation for you. Uh, if you're paying attention, being mindful that you're going to talk to this week, the Spirit wants to alight Christ in you. May I say this as we wrap? Sometimes, and I see this after the pandemic, there's a great lethargy in the church. 
Waterstone, the church in the West. There's just a, frankly, a boredom. Many have quit. Many don't see the need anymore. There's just this apathy. And I believe that one of the cures for apathy is boldness. Here's the way we often think. We think, well, I don't want to talk to someone about Jesus. They might ask me a question I can't answer. Uh, you know, it might, you know, risk the relation. I just need to study more. I, I need to get prepared. I need to go through our discipleship class, whatever it is. May I say that it doesn't work that way. May I say that what I've seen over and over again in the church is people who think like that, oh, I just need to get more prepared, more knowledge, more knowledge. They end up being very bloated and really lethargic. Here's the way it works. Psalm 1, you are like a tree planted by streams of living water. The tree gives its fruit in its season. Here's how a tree works. The roots go down, find moisture, suck it up. And where does that moisture go? Wide. Fruit. Leaves. More leaves, more fruit, roots go deeper. Up it comes again, goes wide. Do you want to restart your spiritual life? Make a plan this week. Open a prayer and say, God, help me to talk to someone about Jesus this week. Do you know what will happen? You will get very excited about your Christian faith. Go wide as you go deep. That's how it works. If you want to recharge and restart your spiritual life, talk to someone about Jesus. We're going to pray together. The last verses of our early brothers and sisters, I'm going to let you sit in it for a bit of silence. Maybe God will bring a face to your mind. Maybe he will bring to you uh, a, a conversation you're going to have this week. Maybe he just wants you to pray open-handedly, Lord, I want to be more bold. Show me the way. If you've got the guts to pray that, here's the chance. Lord, I want to be more bold. Show me the way. Here's, would you pray out loud with me? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now time for you and Jesus to talk about boldness. to sing a couple of songs that are just songs pouring our heart out to Jesus and how much we love him. But during these songs, if you want to seal anything in prayer, if you want to be bold and come down here, we're going to call this the altar this morning. If you want to bring any fears down or if you want to bring any, you know, that you want to be bold and just spend a moment praying with your brothers and sisters, come on down as we sing for just a few seconds or a while. This is the altar. If you'd like to, to pray with someone, some of us will be watching and we'll check and see if you want to pray with someone. But if you want to just bring anything of boldness to the altar this morning in the front, feel free as we stand and sing these last songs together.